It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This is a very big day. You know what today is? It's it's meteorological spring. No, I'm kidding. Well, it is actually, but that's not why it's such a big day. But it is meteorological spring, which I didn't even know what that was. And uh, so I looked it up before the beginning of the show here. And apparently these weather people, like they've just like they started off by naming things like naming storms and stuff. And we just let it slide. And uh, I guess it was fine for, like, hurricanes. And then they started with just, like, the winter storms and everything. And now they've created, like, their own season. Yeah, they, they're they redefining the season. So they're saying that meteorological spring is March, April, and May. And it starts on the 1st of March. And so that's just, like, they just decided to make up their own season. What's up with that? They're getting out of control. Now, spring is here. It's arriving. Whether you're a meteorologist, you believe it starts now, or you're like the rest of us and thinks we all think it starts in another, like, you know, three weeks. Yes, yes, unless, of course, a groundhog sees its shadow. But uh, spring is coming. What does that mean? It means it's time to replace or upgrade uh, some of your uh, your power equipment for the yard. If like if you feel like you're fighting a losing battle every single time you're out there with the weed whacker or the hedge trimmers or whatever, because the equipment that you've got is just so old and terrible, then go upgrade at General Equipment Rental um, and, because they've got they are your official Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider so they know all of the tools and they know the differences between the models and the year to year so they know like what improvements have been made uh and uh they've got gas powered they've got battery powered uh and look i I, i'm not one of these guys that's like oh i only use the gas or i only use the batteries i do prefer the battery uh if i have a small property because then it's it's super versatile. I don't have to worry about the mixtures of the, uh, you know, the gas and the oil and all of that stuff. Uh, the batteries are really convenient. And if you get the right ones, you can like interchange them and stuff. Uh, so, but like I'm not an expert on this stuff. And if you got a really large piece of property, then you may want to go a different route. And the folks at General Equipment Rental they can help guide you on all of this. Because as I mentioned, they're your official licensed. Husqvarna and Honda Outdoor Power Equipment Sales and Service Provider. So go in and see them. And by the way, if you just need to rent some equipment, you don't want to buy it. Like maybe you're looking to do a big project. Maybe you're going to put in a garden and you want to just move a whole bunch of dirt around. You want to till the soil. They can get you the equipment for all of that. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. And they're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, so really easy to get to, super convenient, and uh, these folks are experts in their field. So go uh, utilize them, take advantage of this resource that is there, and also support one of the businesses that support the show. General Equipment Rental, the website is generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. Also, I want to give a shout out to folks who have made the show possible, folks like Mark, Grant, David, Cindy, 
Eric, Dan, Joshua, Christian, Stephanie, and Casey. Thanks so very much for all of your support. They became patrons of the program. Uh, and you can as well just go to thepetecalendarshow.com. And that's where you also subscribe, by the way. That's a easy way to support the program is to just subscribe. And then you get the it's, – and it works for you too because then the program just comes right to your smartphone or your tablet. It's super easy. And then you can just listen whenever you want. You don't have to worry about, you know, being, you know, around um, a computer for the internet connection and all of that stuff. So uh, go to thepetecalendarshow.com and subscribe and become a member, uh, become a patron of the program, which, by the way, that's what the actual big day is. This is the one year anniversary of the show. Well, almost. Okay, it's like technically it's tomorrow, but look, if the weather people can remake an entire calendar around their preferred seasons, I can I can start celebrating a day early, <laughs> right? So I got to tell you, thank you very much for all of the support over the, uh, the year. We launched this right before the 2020 primary, the day before or day of, and uh, I technically did the very first podcast on February 28th, but it was a short podcast. It was basically a test run to get all the equipment going and see how everything worked uh, and get the RSS feed, uh, that code uh, set and everything, and then we were off. Uh, It was March 2nd, I, I believe. And so today is technically March 1st, but uh, it's a it's a 48-hour celebration. It might be a whole month of celebrating. I, like, I don't know. I may not be able to be contained on this. So uh, I did not think, I got to tell you, I did not think that uh, that it would last this long. But then again, I'm kind of a pessimist. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I know I, I, I wasn't sure. I don't, I, I don't want to say I... I don't want to say I didn't think it would last this long because I, I didn't know. People would ask me, and I just, I did not know. It, it was a, and I said from the very beginning, this was all proof of concept to see if this would work. Uh, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I guess I worked in radio for, in Charlotte, but I mean, I did nine to midnight. I filled in on a couple of, uh, you know, daytime shifts, but uh, my my name recognition, my brand, if you will, was not very large in Charlotte. It, I mean, there were people that listened to the station in Charlotte that uh, that remembered me, but I was a reporter, and then I was a nine to midnight guy for two or three years, and and then I was gone. So yes, there were some people that knew me, but it wasn't widespread. Uh, and then I came to Asheville, did the afternoon shift for eight years, and definitely built up the brand here. And uh, that has been immensely helpful to launching a podcast, but I had no idea whether or not this was going to work, and if so, for how long. And so I'm, in, you know, I am, I'm eternally grateful and indebted to the people who have supported the launch, people who became patrons of the show, people who, uh, you know, own businesses that have um, that have advertised on the show, past and present. Uh, it's one of the things. Like this is a, a way more. Uh, it's an easier and more accessible product to access uh, from a marketing standpoint, the podcast is. And uh, for folks, and I do get inquiries from people that want to advertise, which is fantastic, but uh, I'm full right now. I, I'm full because people aren't going to listen to, you know, um, in a one hour podcast full of advertising and the advertisers know this by the way everyone understands that this is the this is the business model right the people who listen to talk radio and this podcast right we all understand the business model is that there are folks who will pay me to do this show in order to tell you about their product right and then it's on me to vet those people and those businesses before i bring them to you and i do 
I spend a lot of time doing it, actually. Uh, and it's why, you know, once I advertise for somebody, that category is basically dead to me. Um, because once I, I, I'm not going to go bounce around because you've heard people that do that, haven't you? Right. You've heard people that do that. They they advertise like, oh, this restaurant is the best restaurant I've ever eaten at. And then a month later, this other restaurant is now the best restaurant they've ever eaten at. And, and at some point you devalue the the endorsement because people realize it's not it's not true. You're just saying it. And uh, so I vowed very early on years ago when I started doing the hosting, I said, I'm not going to do that. And it, it does restrict me. Yes, it does limit the amount of money I can make. Yes, but I think it's worth it. Uh, and I think you think it's worth it. Right. I know the advertisers think it's worth it. So, uh, you know, I am indebted for everybody that um, that has uh, signed on to the show, that has been part of the show and helping it grow over the last year. And maybe I'll go into these numbers uh and I do these numbers, by the way, on the live streams that I do every Thursday night for patrons of the show. They're sort of like the board of directors, so they get the inside scoop on a lot of this data um, that I don't you know, go through on the show. And this is, I recognize, pretty unusual for me to be doing this uh, right now on the podcast. But, um, but I do, I mean, if you're downloading the podcast, I think that you deserve to know uh, how it's going. And I got to say, it's going very well. So it's, which is a much easier thing for me to do, obviously, and to say when it is going well. Uh, we are in the, according to, there's a website called uh, Buzzsprout. They've, they do a lot of uh, podcast platform hosting. It's not who I host with. Uh, my company that I use is, uh, it's not my company, but the one that I use is called Podcave. They're a bunch of old radio guys out of California. They've built this whole platform. And so uh, I hooked up with them uh, immediately after I got uh, laid off a year ago. And, um, and I've built my site around, uh, on their platform. And, uh, but anyway, so this other uh, platform called Buzzsprout, they have a ton of podcasts, and so they're able, and a lot of the industry looks to them to see uh, like how successful a podcast is uh, based on numbers and downloads and that sort of thing, because they have so many podcasts. And so long story short, and I've already made this way too long, I understand, is that uh, my download numbers, which I'm not, I don't know, like, is, is it uncouth to say? I'll tell you, it's about 30,000 a month. I get about 30,000 downloads a month for this show. And that's all the episodes. And I understand like people like, well, your episodes, how many downloads does each episode get? And that's true to some extent, but your episodes, my episodes are expiring content, we call it. And so people are not going back and listening for the most part to an episode that's, you know, six months old. People are listening for the here and now. If they don't listen within the you know first uh, week or two, then they're probably not ever going to listen to it. And so, I'm, but it's about a thousand downloads per episode, and uh, over the course of a month, that's about thirty. That's a little bit more than averaging thirty thousand downloads in a month. And uh, the podcast episodes, I think it's somewhere like I said, it's, it, over a month, it's about a thousand. But in the first like two weeks, they get like about six hundred fifty downloads is the average. Some more, some less, but that's about the average in the first like week or two. And that number puts this show in the top 5% of all podcasts all over, all of them, top 5%. 
That's what this show is. So if you are a listener to the show and you download the show, thank you very much for making the show successful. That's about all I'm going to focus on that. I know it's kind of like self-indulgent here, but I figure you want to know, maybe, uh, but also... It's, you know, it's one year that we've been doing the show. We're still here. We're successful. And uh, I thank you very much for allowing me to continue to do this. Um, All right. So let's get into what happened on Friday afternoon, right around the close of business, when everybody was closing up shop and going home for the weekend. Governor Roy Cooper decides to veto the school reopening bill. And uh, why Friday at five o'clock? Nine days, almost at the very end of the 10-day limit, nine days after the bill passed. I thought this was pretty interesting. Now, I don't know if it's politically motivated to do it at that certain time. There is, you know, the, the understanding in politics is that if you want to bury a story, you put it out at the close of business on Friday. You wait till Friday late afternoon, or if you can, even later into the evening, and then there isn't anybody around to take any questions, right? Because now you got reporters trying to call, uh, you know, offices of people who already clocked out for the day because they're government workers. <laughs> no, I'm, well, they are. But like, I'm, yes, I'm sure you could probably get a hold of people for a, a comment or whatever on a Friday night. But a lot of these reporters have clocked out for the day, right? They've already met their deadlines. They've reported their stories. They put them in and they've gone home, too. That's the reason why you do this Friday evening dump of a story. And uh, Cooper put out a whole bunch of uh, uh, notices and and, uh, he took a bunch of actions on Friday as well. This was one of them. So he vetoes the legislation that would have forced school systems to offer, just offer, in-person instruction among the other options. So parents who want to continue to, you know, keep the kids home and have them learn remotely, you are free to continue to do that under the bill. And if you uh, uh, want to go through the hybrid scheduling and all that, that a lot of districts have been doing, that is still an option as well. All the bill did was to say, you guys have to offer plan A, the in-person option as well for parents who want to take advantage of that. Much like you should take advantage of Old Grouch's military surplus, by the way. Old Grouch's military surplus, if your kid's going back to school, they're going to need a backpack. And, uh, well, really just, you know, cause you got to carry around the books and stuff, right. And you don't want to give them, you know, you, you carry it all under one arm, you, then your spine gets out of alignment and all of that. It's just, you know, think of the children here, please. So get them a backpack and you can score one at old Grouch's military surplus. And these things are better quality. And I would also point out cooler, uh, than, uh, your store bought big box, you know, made in China backpack that falls apart when it rains on the, uh, on the fabric. Anyway, go to old Grouch's military surplus, get yourself your backpack, military grade backpacks. Uh, they're going to last a lot longer than the cheapies. Also, you can get ammo cans. These are great for storage purposes, whether in your vehicle or your shed or garage, um, or even, you know, you know, in your, uh, in your man cave, they look cool. Okay. Old Grouch's military surplus. He gets new stuff in all the time. He's on uh, Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday and across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and uh, 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So Governor Cooper vetoes this bill that uh, was going to offer or force the school districts to offer in-person instruction. And in the veto message, Cooper said that students learn best in the classroom and noted 
He has urged systems across the state to offer in-person instruction ever since prominent studies were released, saying it's safe to do so with masking and other measures in place. This is the write-up by Travis Fain at WRAL. Note the framing of this uh, sentence, that Cooper is making this announcement and urging stu- or, uh, schools to offer in-person instruction, saying students learn best in the classroom. And he's been urging them, uh, these schools, to offer in-person instruction ever since prominent studies were released, saying it's safe to do so with safety protocols. This framing shows Cooper uh, to be, you know, guided by the science, right? Because he he saw the evidence and this prominent study came out. And because of that, I've changed my mind. Now, that is what Cooper said. Now, I would point out, however, that the information that was in that study was not new information as it pertains to schools and the low risk of transmission when they're open wasn't new information. It was a new study. It was new research. It was North Carolina-based research. That is true. And Cooper decided to start urging school districts to reopen after this study did come out. That is true as well. I wasn't there as part of his decision-making cabal, whoever is on that panel of experts that he listens to and talks with. Nobody seems to know who's advising him on all of this stuff. Uh, But he comes out and he says, well, I saw this study and now we're going to urge schools to reopen. The same uh, research had been uh, published months prior. This wasn't new information. We knew a year ago almost that the schools were very low sites for transmission and people who said hey let's close the schools down because we're not sure what's happening um a lot of them have become vested in that position i'm not exactly sure why in all cases i think there are some people that are you know terrified they are sort of at the mercy of their paranoia Uh, i think there are other people who see some sort of political advantage to it i'm not sure how or why I think there are some people, yes, that don't want to go back to work. They don't want to go back into the classroom. I don't know why. I don't know why you would go take a job and then not want to go work at the job. But maybe they enjoy working from home better. I understand. I work from home. I've been working from home (laughs) for, well, for several years, actually. I would go into the radio station to do my show, but I would work from home during the rest of the day. It does have its benefits. Uh, yes, you you don't have to get all dressed up fancy fancy to go work in the home office. <laughs> um, so I understand the, the the there are benefits to it, but I also understand like the detriment to the children. It's pretty profound. It's pretty profound. Cooper, but I, I just point this out because the framing of this is to kind of convey the message that Cooper's being guided by the science. Right. There's no indication here that this science was known months prior for some reason. But Cooper says, again, this is Travis Fain's article at WRAL. Cooper said that the Republican backed Senate Bill 37 fell short in two places. This is what he's been saying from the very beginning, going back to the beginning of the month of February. So a month ago, four weeks ago, he was saying the same thing that. This hinders him and other officials from shutting down schools again if the pandemic worsens and it allows middle and high school students thought to transmit the covid virus, you know, more readily than younger students. It allows them back in classrooms in violation of DHHS 
and CDC health guidelines. This is what he has been saying. Uh, specifically, by the way, and I'm not sure this is actually in the WRAL article. I think it's in the News and Observer's article by uh, Don Vaughn that this is actually about special ed kids, kids who are on the IED or a 504 plan, I think is what they're called. So, and I'll get, I'll get to that. Um, but this is Cooper's boilerplate language. This has been what the governor has been saying, that it doesn't, you know, force the school districts to follow all the health protocols, and it, uh, it robs state and local authorities of control, which is laughable, by the way, and I'm going to get to that as well. The second concern... WRAL's Travis Fain says the second concern about the uh, the health safety, the safety protocols uh, is up for debate, he says, because the bill has language requiring social distancing and other safety measures as laid out by DHHS. But the governor's office has said the language lower down in the bill introduces enough vagueness that they fear some school systems will open without all of the measures in place. So how can you, on the one hand, say that you're going to veto the bill because it doesn't protect local control, while at the same time saying that you're vetoing the bill because it gives the locals too much control? That's what he's arguing. It is. That's what he's arguing. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make any sense. He wants to have it both ways, which makes it should make everybody wonder why is he actually vetoing it? I would submit it's about power. I'll explain that as well. This is about power. It's not really about the health safety protocols because uh, I have, I went through uh, before the show in preparation, I went through and pulled the original guidance that came from the Board of Education, Department of Public Instruction, this toolkit that was developed by the Department of Health and Human Services in coordination with the Department of Public Instruction at the beginning when they came up with the Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. And here is what it says regarding social distancing and minimizing exposure. And this is for all of the plans. This is a key a tool to decrease the spread of COVID-19. Social distancing means keeping space between yourself and other people outside your home. And then it breaks down Plan A, Plan B, and Plan C. And C is not really relevant because it's that's all remote learning. Um, plan B is the hybrid, which includes everything from plan A and some extra uh, stringency. Okay. But here's what plan A says. NCDHHS requirements. These are the requirements from Cooper's Health and Human Services Department. Okay. Provide social distancing, floor seating markings in waiting areas and reception areas. Okay. So provide the markings. Point two, mark six feet of spacing to remind students and staff to always stay six feet apart in lines and at other times when they may congregate. Point three, mark six feet of spacing to remind teachers and staff to stay apart at times when they may congregate, like staff meetings, planning periods, lunch, recess, teacher lounges, and break rooms. Provide point four, Provide marks on the floors of restrooms and locker rooms to indicate proper social distancing. So why are you marking all of this? These are the requirements, remember, from DHHS. Why are you doing all of the markings at six feet? And why are you reminding everybody to stay six feet apart? Why are you doing all of this? 
under a DHHS requirement because it's required, right? Everybody knows the three W's now. They've done their job of selling the three W's to everybody. Everybody knows the six feet. Even people who disagree with it know the six feet. Now, the bill also requires the plan A learning options, which means five days a week in-person attendance with minimal social distancing for special ed students, regardless of grade level. That's the hang up. So what Cooper hasn't been saying all this time is that this is about special needs kids. This is about kids who are on the IEPs and the 504 plans um, that they would be uh, they would have to keep distance of three feet, not six feet. And that's what he says is the reason he's vetoing it. It's about special needs kids. I wonder why he's not focusing on special needs kids like that uh, in his uh, statements. Anyway, according to WRAL, Cooper's decision puts a handful of Democrats who voted for the measure in the spotlight. Not under pressure, they're just in the spotlight. Particularly in the state Senate, where a Republican override attempt will leave them a choice. Stay consistent on the bill or back the governor and vote against high-profile legislation they once supported. This is pressure. I don't know if Travis Fain is aware of it or not, but this is what you call political pressure. They are now caught, he he is correct in identifying the, the squeeze that's coming, right? It's either going to be back your governor, so party over policy, right? Or choosing the governor over the kids. Or you're going to have to be consistent with your vote on the bill, which you thought was a good bill until Governor Cooper said it's not a good bill. And now what do you do? And already we've got one Democrat defecting, saying he's going to vote with the governor, uh, which, by the way, no, nowhere mentioned that I have seen in any of the articles is the term lame duck. This governor is a lame duck governor, but nobody seems to be treating him like that. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but he is. He cannot run for re-election. Uh, he is term limited. And he won already re-election. Now, unless he's going to run for something else, and these folks think that he's going to be able to uh, to pay dividends back to them at some point for changing their vote, which would be pretty bad, in my view, changing your vote, saying, yes, I'm for the children, I'm going to vote to reopen the schools, and then turning around saying, yeah, no, my fealty to the governor is more important. Even if this is this is the key here. WRAL's Travis Fain buried at the very end of the article, even if Cooper's veto is overturned, his move bought time for school systems and teachers worried about returning to the classroom. Bought time? What do you mean he bought them time? Time for what? He used all but one of the 10 days of the state constitution granting him uh, the, the time period the state constitution grants him to decide on a bill. And even if Republican leaders move as quickly as possible on an override and that override is successful, the process will take up much of next week. So here's the thing. The bill actually requires uh, it gives the school districts 15 days to set up their you know in-person instruction. So they got 15 days. Cooper took another nine. Okay, since he issued the veto, it's good between the veto and the earliest the override could happen. It's going to be at least four days. Okay, we're already into day three or yeah, day two and a half, day three. So add that all together, that's 28 days combined before this would actually occur in districts for, for kids to actually be able to be back in a classroom. That's a month. So 
why would Cooper be trying to buy time for school systems and teachers? Why? What's he trying to do? We don't get an answer to that question. It just is thrown out there that, oh, you know what? He's bought them time. Why would he be trying to buy them time? For what? To what end? Well, Travis Fain says, well, teachers worried about returning to the classroom. But the science says they shouldn't be worried. And the bill that he vetoed, that Cooper vetoed, actually says that uh, accommodations should be made for teachers and staff if they cannot uh, go back to work, either for their own personal health reasons or because maybe they've got somebody in their household who's at greater risk for catching COVID, right? So you've got these stipulations, these exemptions out there for the teachers. So why are they still worried about the science, when the science says, as we get in this News and Observer uh, op-ed the other day from Dr. Sally Permar, who is a medical doctor, PhD, pediatrician-in-chief at New York Presbyterian Wheel Cornell Medical Center, Kamansky Children's Hospital, chair of the Department of Pediatrics at Wheel Cornell Medicine. And she says... The risks of picking up the virus in schools that adhere to masking and small class sizes are essentially lower than having visitors in your own living room, even before the addition of vaccines. This is an expert in the field and a Wake County parent, and she is telling you that schools are safe to reopen even before all the teachers get vaccinated. This is not new information, folks. You may be hearing it for the first time because now maybe some media outlets feel, I don't know, encouraged enough or bold enough to tell you this sort of thing. Or maybe now there is some uh, some other pressure being applied or maybe maybe the fact that Donald Trump is no longer president. People uh, feel freed up to say this sort of thing. But for a lot of us that have been following this and have been open to, you know, hearing these other arguments, this information's been out there for about nine months. But welcome to the party. Now, here's something else that people who have listened to this show for the last year know as well. Rowena Patton, she can get your home sold quickly and for more money, and she outsells 99% of the realtors in the state of North Carolina. Also, she's your official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. And this is open to educators, uh, as well as healthcare professionals and firefighters, police officers, and military folks. So veterans, active duty, retirees, you all can get 25% back from the realtor commission. So keep more of your own money. She's given back like $800,000 to folks in these professions. Give her a call. 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. And tell her you heard it here on the, the show. I appreciate that. Again, 333-4483. Give her a call and then start packing. So why did Governor Cooper wait until five o'clock on a Friday to do this? Could it be, as the Carolina Partnership for Reform uh, put out a poll that shows this is not a popular decision he has made. 73% of this uh, of the people polled in this survey by the Carolina Partnership for Reform, 73% support opening the schools. Even Cooper says he does, right? He's urging the school districts to reopen. This is a political loser of an issue for Democrats. There is great concern among a lot of uh, Democrats that 
they are giving Republicans the issue of education. They're seeding the field, basically. And it's there. A lot of them are not happy about it, but they're caught between a teachers union that only represents no more than what, 5% of all the teachers in the entire state that keep pressuring these local school boards and their allies at the state level, right? Because here's the thing, the Democrats find the teachers union to be very useful in organizing uh, demonstrations. So when Democrats need to amass a crowd to go stink up the place at the General Assembly to draw attention to something that they don't like the Republican legislature doing, the teachers union can be counted on to mobilize people into the streets to get attention to an issue because the media will dutifully follow whenever the NCAE goes someplace and they do something like, oh, we're going to protest, whatever. Media shows up, they videotape it, they do stories on it, and that helps build political pressure which apparently, I guess, according to journalisming rules, uh, political pressure is only brought to bear on the Republicans. I think that's how that's supposed to work now. Um, At any rate, uh, Cooper had signaled for some time, according to the News and Observer's Don Vaughn, that he did not support this bill and instead urged districts to offer in-person classes rather than requiring them to do so. Which, by the way, there's nothing to stop Governor Cooper from requiring districts to offer this option with the safety measures that he prefers. He could have done this. This is the guy who has issued executive orders shutting down the entire state, right? Businesses of all sorts. He got to deem you're essential. You're not essential. You're essential. You're not essential. You live. You die. I mean, from a business perspective, you know, you're bankrupt and you're not but now you're going to tell me you can't tell schools to reopen. You also could have your DHHS set up um, safety protocols and embed them into the plan A, and that would then make all of the schools comply with plan A safety protocols. But he hasn't done that either. He chose to veto. Why? To slow roll. That's what this is about. It's about preserving his power. He is trying to get all of the schools enough time so they can offer some option of uh, in person, so it gets the the General Assembly to back off this bill because what he's really interested in is preserving his power. He's guarding the executive branch's power. That's what this is about, and it's the same thing he did with the uh, the lawsuit and the easing of restrictions against the private bars. We talked about this last week when he lifted the restrictions. On the private bars, I made this connection uh, over the weekend um, that the Senate Bill 37, uh, that it has in common this veto of Senate Bill 37, uh, what it has in common with his easing of restrictions on the bars and taverns uh, on Wednesday, I guess it was, protecting executive power. And he states as much in the veto. Okay, a judge warned him. In that case, we talked with Jessica Thompson, the attorney for Club 519. It's a bar in Greenville. And uh, we talked with her and she she talked to us about how the judge warned Cooper's attorney that if you persist with these restrictions and the plaintiffs win or even if they lose and it goes to the Court of Appeals, this you run the risk of having the entire regime of executive orders overturned on constitutional grounds. And that's when 
he eased the restrictions. And we're all supposed to believe that there's no connection whatsoever between the performance of his attorneys in court and the risk he's running of losing the power to issue these executive orders under this, you know, far too expansive Emergency Management Act in North Carolina. A judge warned him that all of his orders may fall if the Club 519 lawsuit wins in, in, in a certain way. That's the risk he's running. So he's, remember, Cooper cited the metrics as to why he would allow indoor seating in the bars now, right? But the same metrics that he cited as reason to ease restrictions were cited as bad so he would not ease restrictions back in October when he refused to allow indoor seating for the bars. He kept them locked down and doing so is now put all of his executive orders at risk. Easing restrictions lets him argue now that the lawsuit is moot. No reason in going forward with this lawsuit against uh, against me from the bars because, look, I've eased the restrictions. And if the judge agrees to drop the suit based on it being moot now, it means Cooper could very well come back later and lock all the bars down again, forcing all the plaintiffs to restart their litigation. Meanwhile, he's going to be leaning on the Democrats to sustain his veto on Senate Bill 37, saying, look, schools are reopening on their own, right? No need to override my veto. They're doing this thing already on their own. You don't need to get involved. Don't override my veto. We're friends. We're both Democrats. Come on. He's going to be turning the screws to these Democratic lawmakers. Both of these approaches, what he's doing with the bars by seating ground and by vetoing Senate Bill 37, they have one purpose, preserving executive power, his power, right? It's why he abandoned the restrictions on churches when they uh, uh, when they started threatening to push back gyms as well and bowling alleys. When each of these industries fought back, he seated ground. Why? in service of protecting power. That's the larger goal here. And I understand this argument uh, that, you know, he's the, uh, the chief executive and he's trying to guard any encroachment into the powers of the executive branch. So I understand that. But the, but the purpose of, you know, the, law, the, the larger goal of preserving executive power, what is it in service to? It's in service to unconstitutional orders, these sweeping orders that have gone on way too long and have been way too broad and have treated different industries uh, unequally, right? So uh, that's, the, that's the challenge where he is most vulnerable on. And he doesn't want a court get, getting an opportunity to strike down his executive order. And I understand that there's a lot of people in the media that see their role as, uh, as you know, telling the public, their audience about the things the government is uh, wanting to tell them, like, oh, my gosh, you got to be worried about these things, right? So relaying this information to the public, and that is part of the job, no doubt about it. But the the fundamental purpose of media, of the of the print, of the newspapers, of the, the free press, right, as originally uh, described, the purpose of a free press is to guard against government abuse. That's your actual purpose. And I would submit you're witnessing government abuse. And in your zeal and maybe a little bit of laziness to simply act as the relayer of information, you're missing you're missing that abuse. 
I, I, and I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt on that. And some people may see it and they're just not reporting it. Some people may not see it because they don't know how to. I don't know. I'm not trying. I'm not lumping everybody in together. I'm just pointing out that this stuff is not getting the kind of coverage. Uh, these motivations and this kind of abuse is just not it's not the focus. And it hasn't been for the last year. Okay. Now, I will tell you, if you're looking for increased focus, maybe immune system resilience, maybe a better quality of life, maybe a deeper sleep, like I get when I take CBD drops from Growers Hemp. Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. These are fantastic. I take a, a couple drops under the tongue before I go to bed, and then I sleep deeply throughout the night. I uh, used to be one who would get up, toss and turn all night long. I don't do that anymore. And I can just tell you that it worked for me. Okay. Growershemp.com. That's their website. These are North Carolina farmers. And they decided, you know what? We're going to control the whole process from seed to shelf. And so you get higher quality, you get a lower price, and you get to support North Carolina family farmers. Um, save some local farms. Um, Oh, and also, yes, they're going to help you on your wellness journey so you get relief. <laughs> it's a, it's a, like a quadruple win, a win-win-win-win. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And nothing I've said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. You can go to growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE. You'll get 20% off. That's Pete, promo code at checkout for 20% off. Growershemp.com. Growers Hemp, from North Carolina farmers to your home. Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So Governor Cooper uh, vetoes Senate Bill 37. And in his announcement as to why he did it, I have it here. He says, second, it hinders local and state officials from protecting students and teachers during an emergency. It hinders local and state officials. Now, I submit it's not really about the local officials. It's about him. It's about him and his uh, powers, that he's concerned that this would hinder his power, okay, as the chief executive you know, in a pandemic. Because in his executive order issued last week that took effect the same day he issued the veto, okay, the reason, the rationale for why the uh, the Emergency Management Act has been implemented and why he's issuing these executive orders, and he's been saying this, this is boilerplate language, it's been in every executive order from the very beginning, and it says, whereas pursuant to the general statute, blah, 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 the undersigned has determined that local control of the emergency is insufficient to assure adequate protection. And so he cites the inability of local bodies to respond. That's why he has to do it. That is the wellspring from which his, uh, his executive orders come forth, right? This is the impetus. Without this language, he doesn't get to do what he's been doing because he determines that local control is insufficient to assure adequate protection. So because of your insufficiency at the local level, I need to do stuff. Yet he then turns around and says that the bill that the General Assembly is passing doesn't give the locals control. 
which he says is insufficient. <laughs> it's it's completely paradoxical. It's self-contradicting, as is many of the logic, quote unquote, and the science and data and facts, oh my, and science and data and facts, oh my. Like all of these things, they contradict one another. For and I've, They're not logical in many cases. I've asked this question before when you set the capacity caps at 15% or 30%. Like, why are, why are you setting it at 30? Why not 32? Why not 35? Why not 40? Why not 29.5%? Why 30? You're making up the numbers, right? But then you want us to believe that this is all science and data. That's the reason why you're doing all of this stuff. But on some things, I guess, yes, we're just kind of picking a number. Well, how are we supposed to know the difference in what is the science and what is just an arbitrary number you've picked out of thin air? And why would a brewery be able to operate at 50% capacity, but a bar is only allowed to operate at 30% capacity now? Why the disparate treatment? What's going on there? Senator Jim Perry, state senator, Republican, he says, when lawmakers abdicate their vote to a governor, their constituents have no voice. Do you serve the people or do you serve the crown? This is a, this is a fair point. Where are the lawmakers on this? Where is the General Assembly trying to rein in what is pretty apparently an abuse of the Emergency Management Act? This act was never intended to last a year. This was designed to give chief executives the opportunity, the ability to react quickly in the wake of a catastrophe like a hurricane or a tornado or something. This was not meant to last a year and to give one person the kind of sweeping universal control that Cooper has been exercising over all of our lives for the last year. And by the way, one last point on the, the science of the school closings and such. How is it that the science is different in 38 other states? How, how, how does that work? Does the science change at our border? How, how come Cooper's uh, sciency explanation gets this sort of knowing, uh, a nodding approval from the media when he says, oh, it's the science? Nobody ever thinks to say, well, in comparison to these other states, what's the deal? Because at the beginning, he was all about talking about other states. He was always comparing North Carolina to other states. Well, you know, their case numbers are rising and, you know, they've made some decisions and look at their numbers versus our numbers and our numbers are better. So I don't want to do what they did. He was all about comparing ourselves to Republican led states. That's what he was doing. Yeah, Republican led states. They opened too soon. And now look what happened. OK, well, now look at what's happening. Do we get any of those comparisons? No, we do not. We do not. I'm sure it's just a just an oversight. Now, maybe it's an oversight as to why you haven't been to Mattress Man yet. Uh, I mean, I, I can forgive you to some extent, but now if you're hearing this, there isn't really any excuse. You need to go over to Mattress Man, uh, especially this month. They've got their tax refund sale going on. No credit needed. At most, $39 down payment. At most, a $39 down payment. You're not going to beat that. And get this, you buy your bed now and, uh, you know, as low as zero down on it, same as cash, uh, up to 24 months, same as cash if you qualify. And so you get your mattress for like nothing and then you uh, sleep on it right away. And then and then you pay it off when you get your refund. I know I've got all the angles worked out. They can help you with all of this at Mattress Man. They can help you find the right mattress as well. That's really the key here is finding the right mattress 
for how you sleep. Do you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach? Um, and if you had a great mattress before and maybe you're trying to find another one that's as comfortable, the sleep consultants at Mattress Man, they can help you because they go through training for this. They learn all of the different types of mattresses, how they're made, how people sleep on them, and what uh, sleep positions are best for certain kinds of mattress construction. Let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. They have five-star local delivery service. They ship nationwide, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. So experience the difference at Mattress Man. Uh, Find the local store nearest you. They've got four in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Um, But you can see all their inventory at mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So Governor Cooper says local school districts should have the control over their schedules in case, you know, the pandemic uh, flares back up again. Uh, But he does not want them to have control over the spacing. They they are incapable of figuring out the recommendations on six feet of spacing, uh, but they do have the capability of figuring out when to shut everything down. (laughs) This doesn't make much sense. Um, According to the News and Observer story, most school districts have already had months of in-person instruction, but about 20 of the state's 115 school districts have been remote only uh, all year so far. And again, this is the stat that uh, Democrats and the governor have been promoting. Uh, but, it, you know, 20 of the 115 school districts, they're like the biggest ones. And so it's like almost half of all the students in the state that fall into those 20 school districts. The NCAE Teachers Union, don't call it a union, they released a statement in support of the governor's veto. Thank you so much for giving us an extra month of staying at home, remote only. North Carolina Public school educators are eager to get back into their classrooms as safe it is as soon as it is safe to do so. But Senate Bill 37 is the opposite of a safe return. That's not true. This is the NCAE president, Tamika Walker Kelly, uh, saying, quote, by attempting to preempt the decision making authority of local school boards and ignoring the latest scientific guidance, This bill would have needlessly endangered the health and safety of educators and students. This is just ridiculous. This is a caricature. By the way, if you don't like Casey O'Day, our friend who does the mornings in Raleigh and Greensboro, he points this out. Like, is there a group of people that has squandered such public goodwill so quickly as teachers? Teachers union, I should say. The teachers union. And I know that all teachers are getting smeared by this these actions of the teachers union and i'm sorry for that i am but they're the reason why this has been blocked the teachers union is the reason why uh this uh veto came down and i look around the country and i see teachers unions behaving the same way for example in maryland enough is enough declared jeremy levine a featured speaker at the teachers union rally you will not sacrifice our lives disrupt our communities and endanger our students for what test scores or a few folks to get their free babysitters back keep the schools shut said levine until all teachers are vaccinated buildings are upgraded and community spread drops even lower this was part of a uh, a car parade rally, massive car rally against the Montgomery County School Board's plan to reopen schools for most of the students by the end of April. These people are protesting schools being opened by the end of April? Are you kidding me? 
and you say the only reason that parents want this is because they because of test scores. It really is amazing. By the way, there's also a video saw it this morning. The head of the teachers union in Berkeley, California, who has been this big opponent to the teachers union has been blocking the reopening of Berkeley schools, public schools and uh, local teachers union president. I, I forget his name. Meyer, I think is his last name. And they've got video of him dropping his child off at a private pre-K school. So he's endangering the lives of the teachers at the pre-K school. Why is that acceptable? How many of these people are sending their kids to private schools, right? They're se- this guy sends his, he's walking his child to the private school, dropping her off. Meanwhile, he's saying that opening up any school is trying to kill the educators and is a sign of disrespect. I, I just don't understand the mindset of a person who can who can say both of those things, do both of those things, right? It's not even hypocrisy at that point. I, I don't know what you would call it. Maybe evil? I'm not sure. I'm trying not to ascribe motive here. But when you are out there trying to deny kids the opportunity to get an education, right? Meanwhile, sending your kid to a private school? I just think there's a special place in hell for people like that. I really do. And again, I need to point this out. I am not even a supporter of K-12 government schools. I would prefer to see the entire system dismantled. I think this is a fantastic opportunity, actually, for parents to break the dependency, for lawmakers to break this dependency on government schools. And if you don't think this is an opportunity, I'm not sure what another better option looks like. This is the time to do it. There are so many parents that have had their eyes, they've been red-pilled on this. They have their eyes now wide open as to what is going on in the classroom, but also with these teachers' unions, right? What the structure is really all about. They don't really care about educating the kids. Some do, some do not, right? Some do not. Teachers' unions, they're not kids' unions, they're teachers' unions. They're representing the teachers, okay? (laughs) That's their jam. And when they say keep the schools closed, even though it's going to have long-term damage to your kid, that should be enough to convince you to try to break this dependency. All right, that's a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. It's totally free. And we'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.